This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. One of the big areas of focus uh, in this presidential campaign involves trade. It has been a big talking point by Donald Trump. Uh, saying that he sees many bad trade deals out there for the U.S. right now. He's tried to drive this point home, saying that he won't do another bad trade deal. It's going to be one of the very important pieces to potential upcoming debates, and it's one that all the candidates must be very sharp on, uh, no surprise. Phil Nichols is Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics here at the Wharton School. He joins us here in the studio. As we mentioned, Philip uh, follows uh, quite a bit the world of the trade deal. Great to see you again. It's good to be here. Thanks. Thank you very much. Uh, this notion that he has that there are things wrong with NAFTA and there are things wrong with TPP, uh, let's do a little factcheck.org. Is he right or is he wrong? Or in between. The, the, so, in reality, that's almost an impossible question to answer. Okay. It's impossible because we don't have a counterfactual. We, we can't say this is what would have happened without NAFTA. Okay. Because there is no, there is no this without NAFTA. The, the broad consensus among both economists and non-economists who follow trade in a non-partisan kind of way... Mm-hmm is that the that NAFTA has been of net benefit to all three countries. Okay. There are people who are disproportionately negatively affected by NAFTA and, mm-hmm. and no one wants to minimize the pain that those people feel. But overall the consensus is that it's of benefit to the general population of all three countries. Right. Now, one of the interesting things about um Trade becoming an issue in this campaign, which no one who follows trade saw coming, right? Is that back when NAFTA was being negotiated and and then being sold to the people of the United States, the people of Canada didn't really need selling to the people of Mexico. Sure, yeah. Um, there was this kind of implicit social promise that yeah, we know there will be people whose lives are changed by this, mm-hmm. and these people will be helped in some way. That help never really came. Um, the, uh, the, the Clinton administration was followed by an administration that, that did not fully embrace large government programs to help people, mm-hmm. um, smaller government. And so the, the, the kind of implicit promise that came with these trade agreements wasn't kept. Okay. And, and that failure to, to keep that kind of a promise um, – it legitimately engenders kind of bitterness and disappointment with trade agreements, mm-hmm. even though, from what we can tell, and, and I don't want to overemphasize, I don't want to oversell the consensus, but from what we can tell, overall, it was beneficial. You're talking about an eight-year period then, yeah, where President Bush was was in office, uh, and again, it's you know it's hard to say what could have been, but still. You would think that the benefits that are potentially there would have most likely grown sure. in, in that eight-year period if 
if that same, I guess, type of mentality would have played out, correct? Well, the benefits did grow in that yeah. time period. I mean, one of the... Maybe not as much as they, as they potentially could have. But potentially, they, But sure. again, that's another one of those... We don't have the counterfactual. Exactly. Yep. Now, in, I don't want to say that during the Bush administration, nothing good happened. Right. The, yep. the, the auto industry is a great example of how breaking down trade barriers between the three largest countries on this continent helped everyone. Yeah. Um, the U.S. auto industry is far, far, far more competitive now than it was then. Mm-hmm. And it was more competitive at the end of the eight years of the Bush administration than it was at the beginning. Um, it's more competitive because there's this seamless supply chain among the yeah. three countries. Yep. And this seamless, and this is more, almost more important, idea chain. The, the ideas, uh, the auto industry used to be very segmented. There was mm-hmm. U.S. cars, Canadian cars, Mexican cars, European cars. Now the U.S. gets, well, the, the, the auto industry, which straddles the three countries, gets their ideas from all over the place. Yeah. And the, 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 the competitive nature, the, 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 the things that they put out based on these ideas are outstanding. They're well, excellent. And, and just the fact that you have various manufacturers, auto manufacturers, with plants in Mexico, yet shipping cars to the United States. So you know, it's, it's, it's a fairly seamless run at times. And, but just as important, they're shipping parts from the United States to the manufacturing plants in Mexico, parts sure. from Canada to yeah. the manufacturing plants. So this seamless web, it, it's easy to stop at a certain point and say, oh, the jobs are in country X. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the fact of the matter is that there's also jobs in countries Y, Z, A, B, C, supplying, buying, transporting. Um, it's, it's really hard to say where to draw the line. Mm-hmm. This is where we stop thinking about jobs. Because the jobs that are created supplying mufflers to the manufacturing plants in the Macaderos, yeah. those are jobs. The jobs in transportation. Um, I saw a really, really interesting graph on um, CNBC. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a couple nights ago, um, that showed how the um, uh, jobs in the ports in California sure, yes. are very good indicators of what's going to happen in the economy later. Hmm. And those jobs are dependent on trade. Yep. Um, same with transportation in uh, the Macaderos. Uh, uh, Corbin, the Republican senator from uh, Texas, was saying, we love NAFTA. And he understands right. transportation logistics, finance, these are all jobs created in the United States and in Canada and in Mexico that relate to the straddling of the three countries rather than segmenting it in each of the three countries. So then what does, what does Donald Trump see as the, the biggest problem with, with this process right now? That's that's I, I don't mean do, to disrespect. Do we, need mo- do we need more than the 20 minutes we have left? Well, not really because it's really hard to find out. He, he he without meaning any disrespect to any of the candidates it it's hard to to find what he identifies as the specific problem right he he seems to suggest that that nafta has allowed jobs to go to mexico yep but but that is really not supported by the evidence if there's some other problem He's not identifying it as clearly. Interestingly, he's not identifying it as clearly as the Democratic platform identifies the problems that they see with mm-hmm. trade agreements. He seems to rely on just jobs 
and and not necessarily anything structural. Right. So hard to say what the problem is that he's. What about the 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 potential of TP, TPP going forward? And because that's another one that he has he has great concerns over. Sure. Um, again, with TPP, it is hard to identify exactly what the problem is that he sees. Yeah. Um, again, the Democratic platform is more specific about the structural problems with the TPP. Now, uh, with the the Republican platform, again, the focus seems to be on jobs. Sure. Yep. Again, that's very hard to predict. With the Democratic platform, they're more specific in identifying problems with labor standards, wage standards, um, environmental standards, uh, health standards. Right. And and there is – with the, the TPP, there is um, reason for some concern about issues like that, not necessarily in terms of competitiveness, mm -hmm. but more so in terms of domestic legislation. Um, Australia is a really good example. Australia uh, passed legislation requiring plain labeling of cigarettes. Yep. Now, yep. we can agree with that. We cannot agree with that. But that seemed to come from the democratic impulse of the people of Australia. Mm -hmm. the, uh, Philip Morris um, fought against the plain labeling sure. based on – and I find this so interesting – based on – the bilateral investment treaty that Australia signed with Hong Kong. And hmm. that treaty contained investor protection clauses very, very similar to th those in the TPP. Mm -hmm. And those clauses prohibit a government from enacting legislation that disadvantages foreign investors or foreign traders. Hmm. So let's say the TPP passes and is enacted. Right. And uh, Portland, Oregon, where the um, superintendent of the school system just stepped down because of high lead content in the school water there. Right. Portland passes a law that says um, uh, lead cannot be imp brought into the schools of Portland. That would disadvantage a foreign investor or a foreign trader right. who relied on a certain level of lead being introduced into the water system of the schools of Portland. That hmm. would be prohibited, arguably, under the TPP. Now, Australia eventually won in the um, Investment Settlement um, Dispute Center, mm -hmm. but it cost them $50 million, <laughs> and they actually Jeez. won on a technicality rather than on the basis of the law itself. So there is reason to be concerned about the some of the provisions of the TPP. On the other hand, the TPP um, breaks down a lot of trade barriers, introduces a lot of Southeast Asian countries to uh, a more um, open and free system of trade. And, and that ultimately and arguably, again, we don't have the counterfactuals, would be to the benefit of people everywhere. I guess there is, though, when you're talking about what you just did with the TPP, that there is a potential want or need to continue to really look at that yeah. and that deal and make sure that there are no areas of it that could backfire. Absolutely. On the US, especially, I guess, in some respects, because the Chinese economy is so up and down right now. 
Well, China is not a, a party to the TPP. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, that that's another interesting argument that was in the Republican platform. But the China is just not part of the TPP. Yeah. Um, but sure. Um, uh, we want to usher in a, a, a more regimen, you know, a more disciplined trade regimes in Southeast Asia, and eventually in um, East Asia. But maybe the TPP does need another look. It, it, there are th- there. It is not um, paranoid or you know ludicrous to say we might want to reexamine the TPP. Could you see a, a, a day where? The NAFTA could be in jeopardy. That's a that's a really interesting question. Um, Article two zero five five of NAFTA does allow countries to withdraw a six month notice. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know the the there is there is growing recognition among um, leaders of the states that benefit that NAFTA is of net benefit, um, there would be a tremendous, the, the unraveling the supply chains, yeah. and the auto industry is not alone. It's just a really good example. Unraveling the supply chains, it would be our own form of Brexit. And there would be, a, at a minimum, a short-term shock uh, that we don't, most people aren't aware of, but right. it would be there. Over the long term, it's hard to say. It's interesting because with the with the Brexit, uh, they felt that that first initial charge, once that announcement was made with the markets, uh, and I guess we're going to see how that all plays out over right. over the next several months, right? Uh, as to how they can kind of work that out uh, for the U.S. to kind of go down that road. If one candidate wins over the other, it's probably not a surprise because that's kind of what he has he has kind of initiated. If if the other candidate wins, then we probably shouldn't expect that. Well, it, I find it interesting that when Hillary Clinton ran against uh, Barack Obama in two thousand eight, both candidates said we're going to withdraw from NAFTA. Right, and of course, no one did. Um, you know, another interesting aspect of withdrawing from NAFTA is. Uh, uh, one of the issues that people think of as unrelated to trade in this campaign is immigration, both documented and undocumented. Sure, yeah. NAFTA actually had the effect, a measurable effect, and some scholars have looked into this, of reducing both documented and undocumented immigration into huh. the United States. Now, if we're concerned with immigration from Mexico into the United States— yep. It seems counterproductive to take measures that actually damage the economy of Mexico, <laughs> right? And create an incentive for people to, to leave to Mexico leave, yeah. and come here. Yeah. And one of the benefits of NAFTA and benefits of trade agreements in general is that they tend to, and again, we don't have the counterfactuals, but they tend to improve the environment uh, of every place. Mexico has, in many respects, benefited from NAFTA. And kept more people working productively in Mexico, but that hasn't. I mean, it's been probably more of a net benefit for Mexico than necessarily it it has been for the United States. Uh, again, people are all over the map about this. Yeah. Um, if you look at one particular country, they'll say we benefited, we didn't benefit, we benefited, we didn't benefit. There are industries in Mexico that that 
would very it seems clear that they were damaged by NAFTA agriculture mm-hmm. in particular. Yeah. Ironically, given some of the comments in this campaign, um, but overall, um, Mexico benefited. A great deal. Um, the United States benefited a great deal. It's hard to say which one benefited more. What about the What about the effect on, uh, on Canada? A Canada, uh, there are a few people in Canada who complain about NAFTA, but generally Canada recognizes that they benefited tremendously. And Canada was very well situated to benefit. They already had industry. Um, they had great transportation links to um, the South, to the yep. United States, to Mexico. Yeah. Um, they they quickly and seamlessly integrated themselves into the supply chain. Um, the United States uh, is aberrant in that about trade is about twenty eight percent of GDP. Yeah, Canada it's about seventy five percent of GDP. Jeez. And the United States is the United is Canada's largest trade partner, just as Canada is the United States' largest trade partner. Yeah. So Canada, when that barrier went down, Canada benefited a lot. As one could predict, based on the amount of trade as a percentage of GDP, the United States, not as much. So th- then it is potentially Mr. Trump uh, just making a statement about trade and specifically NAFTA just to draw attention a- at this point, rather than there actually being any kind of substance behind a, a potential withdrawal from NAFTA? So um, one of my favorite stories is uh, Barthélemy uh, Timonier, who invented the first, we think, the first sewing machine that ran a, a running stitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1829, Paris. 1831, he built a manufacturing plant. He got a lovely contract from the French government to sew French military uniforms. Mm-hmm. The tailors in France, the people who sewed clothes by hand, rioted, burned his factory to the ground, oh, threw the machines into the river. The reason for that was he's going to destroy our jobs. 1960, Cesar Chavez sued University of California Davis for doing research on a tomato that could be picked by a machine. Right? People fight these kinds of changes and and they can be rallied to burn machines to the ground <laughs> but eventually everyone has a sewing machine and eventually we're all eating those oblong tomatoes that can be picked by machines so is this a clever campaign rhetoric historically sure is there a lot of substance behind it? Right. Eventually, historically, not. How do you see then the, the then the potential effect on TPP then? Um, as your previous guest pointed out, both parties are saying time for another look at TPP. Yeah. Uh, my guess would be that unless the current administration and Congress can get it through. <laughs> Which you're, you're running out of time <laughs> on that one. Right. Yeah. My guess is that we're going to take another look at it. Right. And that's not unprecedented. And the Doha round of the World Trade Organization has had nine or ten looks, re-looks so far. So it happens. And there's is there anything specific that, that you think should be focused on? Um, I would take a good hard look at the uh, investor protection clauses. Um, the 
unintended consequences of those might create the kind of public, popular pressure against trade mm -hmm. that would render the TPP actually more harmful than beneficial, purely as a political matter, not necessarily as an economic matter. We, we know that trade is obviously a big part of the economy here in the U U.S. Uh, in comparison to the percentages here in, in the United States, what is it like for a place like Japan or, 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 or Australia or some of the other countries over there in the East in, in terms of how much of an impact not having a TPP would have on them? More. More. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, the United States is relatively unique, certainly unique among the industrialized and the OECD countries. Right. Um, the average among OECD countries, I believe, is 58, 59 percent. Mm -hmm. Trade is percentage of GDP. Yeah. United States, 28%. Yeah. That's a huge difference. Yeah. Huge difference. Yeah. So, sure. Which makes, be... you, which makes you think that that's, that that's why the tact is being taken the way it is, is that it's not as important to get a deal done, any deal done, sure. on the U.S. side as compared to the other side. Hence the rhetoric of, I'm not going to do a bad deal. Sure. Although that rhetoric, it raises its own unique and interesting questions. Um Partially because, as you mentioned, hard to find what the bad is in the right. bad deal. Right. Secondly, because you really don't – trade negotiations are not the most important negotiations in the world. Yeah. You know, arguably nuclear dearmament – well, not even arguably. Of course nuclear dearmament you know, would be more important. But there's they're, – they're considered the most complicated in the world. Right. There's so many moving parts. Um. The, the, and revealing one's negotiating position to one person, one country, right. one polity, reveals it to all of them. And so they progress really slowly, that people move incrementally once they reveal one thing and everyone reveals one thing, everyone reveals one thing, everyone reveals. So the, the notion that we can somehow negotiate better trade deals is is one that should should not just be taken on face value. Right. The 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 United States has superb negotiators, regardless of what people say. Right. It's easy to call people names. Right. Hard to do it actually. Um, and the United States and other countries have worked together in in to, to in in really complicated ways to get this done. The notion that we can simply rip them all up and yeah. create something better. Yeah. It, it, it is is. Again, I don't want to criticize unnecessarily, but it's a kind of fanciful notion. It's attractive. Wouldn't it be great if everything cut our way all the time, every circumstance? But it's it's a pretty fanciful notion. And that's part of the reason why a lot of people are wondering what's going to happen with the Brexit. Because sure. all of those deals yeah, that's a, you know, are going to have to be redone. Thousands, literally thousands. Yeah. yeah. And it's not, then you can't do that overnight. That's going to take quite some time. And that, you, you raise an excellent point here. That's an excellent point because one of the criticisms of Brexit, one of the, you know, not even criticism, one of the things that flows from Brexit is uncertainty. Yeah. If our trade position becomes, we're going to rip up deals we don't like and renegotiate them. We've introduced a massive amount of uncertainty sure. into the Absolutely. economic system. Yep. Yep. And and who knows where that and, would be. And the impact on that will be very shocking Absolutely. for a lot of markets around the world. Absolutely. Great to have you back in the studio. Thank uh, you, Phil. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Philip Nichols of the Wharton School. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, 
please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.